Welcome to your typical shonen protagonist. He's Kai. I'm Kels. And this week we're talking about my dress up darling. First off, Kai, how you doing? Man, I am doing great. Uh, it's cold where we are and, you know, it's the holiday season. So everybody's a little less of a jackass. So it's, it's are, are they? Well. Are I mean, they? <laughs> maybe. I don't, truth be told, don't interact with them to know if they're being less of a jackass. <laughs> I just feel like they probably are. Maybe. Yes, the, the faith in humanity is the thing that's growing. The the degree of, of their presented uh, personality may not be. Uh, but the faith in humanity is growing uh, as the temperature gets colder and, and drinks get warmer. Uh, I yeah. I feel you. I feel you. Just like the hope and inspiration that my dress-up darling aims to present the viewer. Yes. Yes, it does. <clears throat> and that's what we're doing today. We're doing... My Dress Up Darling, which I had the perfect, you know, intro to it um, when we weren't recording. But yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, my hit, dress hit, up, hit, me, hit me with it. Hit me with the perfect intro. Go. My Dress Up Darling is a comedy, etchy romance slice of life anime that came out in 2012, which was created by Shinjiki Fudoka um, or Shinichi. <laughs> Shinichi I, Fudoka. Sh- Shinichi Fukuda. Shinichi Fuduka, um, which follows the premise, which follows the premise of two high schoolers, Wakanai Gojo and Marin Kikigawa, um, as they go through the process of cosplay. Gojo, who is someone who has a love and interest of making Hina dolls, because that's what his grandfather and his family has done for generations, um, finds himself a recluse and away from everybody else until he meets Marin, who tells him it's okay to have an interest in the things that he has an interest in. And she has a highly, um, highly abrasive personality and very interested in cosplay and Aramaya games and all that. And this is their journey in discovering and navigating through the cosplay world. Thus, my dress up darling. There's an old adage that is perfect is the enemy of good. And I would say that that was a very good intro. Not perfect, but very good. And thank you for presenting that information. And prefacing uh, with all of our wonderful characters, with the two main characters and the setup around them. Um, yeah, man. My Dress Up Darling, a show about social rejection, gr- growing as friends, learning and feeling out a new romantic relationship. Presumably, right? That's the the tent we're going with uh as it revolves around hobbies like traditional um doll making and the new world of cosplay and how does two people like that line up and have an adventure in a arrow gay adventure cosplay i don't know yeah you had more words than me go team <laughs> go team um go team. man but yeah what what a setup right what a whole vibe honestly um it's weird because it's like a tried and true premise but i feel like my dress up darling 
uh, sweeps us off our feet in a lot of different aspects in a lot of different ways, which we'll get into um, later. But it's definitely not your norm slice of life. It is, but it's not because it's it's like a pizza. Everybody, you know, knows how to make pizza, but there's that pizza that hits. It's like it's just the same thing, but with a different tweaking of the ingredients, it just hits so much harder. Yes, it's like the best pizza versus pizza-shaped casserole, right? Yes. Uh, you know, definitely thin crust pizza is is the best. Thin crust New York style, folded, of course. Uh, but yes, I agree. You know, we we have the formula. Uh, anti-social dude that's just living his best worst life. That's had kind of social rejection from his childhood, uh, doesn't really find a friend group until his hobby and passion of uh, doll making winds up translating into a skill that can help another student with her own goal. And the overlap of these passions is what begins this beautiful friendship that will grow into a budding romance. Yes. Very funly so. Very funly. Or entertainingly. I don't know what the exact words are for in, that, in, but yes. I would say entertainingly, happens. and one of the one of the entertaining factors about this is the intensity of the fan service, right? Because this is very much an uh etchy show. But it is done, I heaven forbid I say this, it, it is done tastefully and, and it fits in with the plot. Um, this show inspired an idea that I think we're going to get to eventually. Um, and that idea being that fan service falls in in two categories, right? It either serves the plot or it is the plot. And so things that that fit in my mind that fan service serves the plot helps like you know it, it's like salt on a steak it's it's salt on french fries it gives a little pizzazz to it it's a yeah. show like my dress up darling it's a story about a relationship and the uh the etchy aspects mm, spice it up a little bit right whereas a show like uh oh shit high school dxd the fan service is the plot yes Yes, um, very much so. Um, then you got the middle ground, like High School of the Dead. <laughs> is, is that a middle ground? <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of plot, and it was very interesting. Uh, we have but, we have less non non etchy plot than High School DxD in that, but yes. but uh, you know uh, the idea that fan service falls in two categories, and this one is is very much we are tastefully using fan service to uh, spice up the adventure that perhaps other shows that have done the same kind of plot threads and the same kind of theming um, have avoided. And one of those shows that come to mind for me, which we will get to a bit later on, is how does this compare to another show uh, with two similar characters, two similar backgrounds, different execution, how does My Dress Up Darling compare to Smile Down the Runway? Yeah, which we're going to, like I said, we're going to 
into a little later, but that's something where when I watched this for the first time, I had a lot of, you know, that's what popped in my head in terms of like a lot of um, comparisons, but also a lot of differences. Um, and even things such as like Comey Can't Communicate popped in my head. Um, just a bunch of different shows, honestly, um, for good reason. But yes, uh, I want to talk about the staff and the production behind this beautiful anime that made it so beautiful. And like you said, uh, Shinjiki or Shin Ichiki, Shinichi, Shinichi Fuduka, Fukuda, um, Fukuda, Fukuda. Yep. Um, made this anime, and you might know her from something else. Um, what? The celebration of Haruki Suzumiya, which is a very popular anime manga um, that came out way back in 2009, I want to say, about um, this girl and her antics of the SOS Brigade. I'm sure if you like saw it, you would know what it is, maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm at a loss, but I'm excited to see what it is. Yeah, it's um it came out back then. It has a lot of it's very popular, I feel like. Um it had a cult following kind of and then she did some other stuff that I was not at all familiar with. Um Heavy Metal Blues, Memorio in Maluki. Um but this is the first one that I've kind of been a part of since launch and kind of been able to enjoy. Or yeah, I guess I, I said it a spicy hot take. The one I enjoy. Um, so, and this is also one of the things we were talking about earlier, like female mangaka versus male mangaka, like how it feels like the gauntlet is passing. There's a lot of female heavy, um, manga that has just been on point lately. Like it's kind of like taking over, which I guess you can say this genre slice of life has always been kind of run by the female mangaka, such as Fruits Basket, such as... Even though Inuyasha is like a shonen, I still feel like it has a lot of shoujo elements. Um, oh, absolutely. It's all about the love triangles and, and the, yeah. Yes. Um, and how you like hoe the best character, Kikio, out of her just rewards, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> she, she been dead, man. She been dead. Let it, let it be. I don't let care. It be. You should never <laughs> bought her back and maybe fill all those things. Um, she should be Mohuro's brother. Anyway, okay. Moving forward. Uh, but but yeah yeah the, um you know there's an interesting idea that you know in in the modern time we are seeing more and more fe- female mangas uh, female mangakas uh, producing high top tier selling uh, mangas that are translated later on in anim- uh, into animes uh, that are also outside of the traditional genres that would be expected based on historical con- confines, right? You know, no no longer do we see just uh, male writers writing shonen successfully. Um, you know, what would be the, the now progenitors of the big three, uh, you know, with Jujutsu Kaisen and Demon Slayer, those are both came, coming from female mangakas, and that, that's incredibly interesting to see. For sure. And like the popularity is really like taken off with my dress up, darling. It's um the forty fourth most popular manga of all time. And it's like charting up sales here with like things that have a very high um you know, rate. Like my it's uh last week on Oricon and or the last quarter it came on Oricon it beat 
My Hero and Jujutsu Kaisen and a bunch of other anime. And I was like, wow, you know, this is crazy. Like, you normally don't see a shoujo um, doing numbers like this. And after I watched it, the first two or three episodes, I had to go out and buy the manga. Now, like when I bought it, all the copies were available. Granted, it was only like three or four out at the time. And now when I go pick up the new copy, I have to get there like day one. Otherwise, all the copies are gone or someone's buying it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we only got a certain number because there's a shortage because everybody wants to read this. And I'm like, yes, because like I think uh, quarantine and everything kind of like made people settle down and kind of miss like real life experiences. So maybe that's why we're getting more of an uptick in the sale of like shoujo and slice of life, even though this isn't technically a shoujo. It's more of a slice of life rom-com comedy like i don't see it as etchy i know it has etchy elements but like yo this is very much etchy like just because we do not see the extent in which we could have as it was translated from you know manga to broadcast anime uh this is very much more suggestive than anything that's you know not even coming close to that uh those themes and and concepts so absolutely this is an edgy yeah even if it's mild you know yeah it's no fruits baskets uh or kill the kill would you would you refer to fruits baskets as an edgy yes 100 percent. my question there being how where, where in fruits baskets in comparison to what we oh, did see? Oh, I say fruits baskets? Them. I meant food wars. My bad. Oh, food wars. Okay. Okay. I think I just always think about fruits baskets. So that's why it slipped out instead of <laughs> the, the F Freudian slip. Um, but yeah, no, food wars. Uh, I was yeah, like, yeah. What do you mean yeah. food wars? Everybody knows food wars is edgy. But uh, yeah. Um, okay. but, you know. Yes. Yes. It's not to the extreme of those, right? We, we certainly do have suggestive elements. Uh, definitely we we go and touch on some ideas about like uh nipples being seen through materials and and these types of topics but we don't necessarily see them as they're translated to the to the screen no you're correct you're correct um and then you know so shout out to the director for doing it or the manga for doing a great job with the story and I'm following it, and we'll be following it. Um, but then the I, director, I, what's that? I wanted to touch on one thing with the with the mangaka, yeah. uh, Shinichi Fukuda. Uh, when she saw the the first two episodes, uh, in an interview with uh, somebody, man, I should have my shit together. Co- uh, Cosmic Natalie, apparently, uh, yeah, published an interview with her, uh, the mangaka, and uh. She said when she first saw the adaptation, she cried because it was so exciting to see uh, these characters come to life, have motion and have a voice. And that was super fun to, to see. Oh, for sure. Like, and there's so many moments in this anime that I feel like if like I worked on it, like the beach episode was masterful, like just absolutely masterful animation uh you know what i'm talking about when they went and were eating the burgers and the fries and the seagull started their food and you just saw like the amount of light in there like and the fact and the fact that the whole writing of this episode uh and this plot point wasn't this like 
traditional etchy beach episode of a giving us an, a reason to show them in their bathing suit. Like I loved it. It was superior done, or um, yes, superbly. That's the word I'm looking for. Wake up, guy. Uh, superbly done, and uh, I feel like that's good in part due to our director Kisuke Shinohara, who I got can't believe I got that right. Um, who. Really, this is one of his, like, I don't want to say first, but he's worked on Black Fox, which is a movie that I watched um, way back when, way back when, back 2019. And it was, it was decent, uh, very much decent. And then he's also done A3, which is like kind of like a male idol anime, which that is also like, it's, it's beautiful to look at, but story-wise, it's kind of like, you know, also, eh, okay, but... This is just so much more, I feel like, um, with the direction, with the sound design, how everything kind of goes into play, this is more so of a something like he's never done before. And I feel like this was a kind of a new opportunity for him to go and do this. And seeing that, um, kind of like he just, this is really his first big thing. He's done other things, yes. But this is like his really first big thing, his seasonal anime that kind of came out and just kind of shook everything up. Because my dress up, darling, I don't, I know you didn't watch it when it like was premiering, but it was everywhere. After the first episode, it was like everywhere. Marwin was like all over the internet. People were like here for it. Um, Gojo was getting mad love. Both of them are trending on Twitter. Like it's just, and just the whole premise of it, like. And dealing with, like, the realistics of the, like, cosplay and, like, how much detail went into this anime. Because when you look at it, you see that um, they really captured the essence. I know one thing that we had talked about on our other podcast, Content Breaker, when we did Yuri on Ice, we talked about how, yeah, it was about um, snow or not snowboarding, figure skating. But you didn't really see that much of figure skating. It just felt like it was a background to the romance. Where, like, cosplay is alongside the romance, alongside everything in this anime. Like, I don't feel like that was, like, undershadowed at all. And I feel like that had a lot to do with, like, the direction and the production team behind this doing their adequate research. And just the amount of, like, experience and relatability to, like, the real world people who do this type of stuff. Yes. And and the... The degree of that specificity, right, is really what brings a sh- this show to life. It, it has to do with the relationship, but the relationship through the lens of the passion for each, each character's craft and desires and hobbies. And if we didn't see that specificity, if we didn't see how, how minute everything got, Right, how how deep Gojo's love for Hina dolls went, and uh, you know not only his love for it, but his his effort and craft. We wouldn't necessarily understand how that translates to him uh, helping uh, Marin achieve her goals as he creates these these designs. Right, so it's that specificity that helps sell this so well compared to some other. Uh, animes in the same idea where it's a love story around a topic 
No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. And like, I feel like that's all, you know, egged on by the group and the love that went into this, which, you know, I feel like, I know they say studio doesn't matter, but I feel like <laughs> if this had been another studio, like, cause there's, I feel, so this is done by studio Cloverworks, which we all know and love for our greats like um, Bunny Girl Senpai. Me and you both covered that as one of our favorite anime. They also have done Fairy Tale, which I love. Um, it's kind of the divisive so, one. Um, but they've done as well um, uh, Spy so, Family, which a lot of people are watching now as well. So you had dis- we we had brought this up together that Studio Cloverworks is the king of hit or miss anime. Right? I feel so, like that's very accurate. Very factual statement. We have Bunny Girl Senpai, a banger. We also have Darling in the Franks, which is, you know, a, a team effort, but not remembered as the best. Right? We have Promised Neverland Season 1, which was a banger. We have Promised Land Season 2, which was a disappointment. Hot garbage. We have... uh. My Dress Up Darling. Thank we you. also have Wonder Egg Priority. Trash. It was only trash and then. Wonder Egg Priority yeah. was good until the end. Like I'm still trying to figure that out. I don't know if that has to do with Japanese um, like culture not putting as much emphasis on the ending as much as they do the journey. Um, but God, that was bad. Um, who made that? Why did you make that? Uh, please don't do it again. I don't know, but yeah, you know, their their recent release history of a lot of their good stuff, or a lot of stuff they've they've been making, is hit or miss. It's either really successful, really enjoyable, or it doesn't close the deal like it promised. And you know, fortunately, with season one of uh of my dress up darling it it set it up to be a very exciting situation and you know i can only hope that it will go the way of bunny girl senpai and have uh you know a successful follow-up and not the way that we saw a promise uh a promise neverland right (laughs) yeah no i i agree and i feel like i feel like it's in good hands with cloverworks because one thing I've realized about Cloverworks is that they tend to have this issue where they have a favorite. Um, and the rumor was that Darling and the Franks went downhill because Cloverworks was supposed to cover the last half of it. And they saw the story and they were like, yo, I don't want to like, no, um, they weren't doing that. And they were already putting out Fairy Tale. They were already putting out um some other shows. So they said, you know what? Like, we're going to put our energy towards Bunny Girls and Pie and we're just gonna do whatever. Or something contractually some something happened contractually where it was alleged that Cloverworks did not put in their best effort towards Darling and the Franks because they were putting it towards other shows such as Bunny Girls and Pie. 
which I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I'm not necessarily mad at that. Um, if that's where that energy went, I don't know one way or another because it's all speculation. But when you look at Bunny Girl Senpai and you see that the movie was a hit and we got more, we got two more things coming and they both follow like light novels and that adaptation has been superb. Um, and I, I don't blame Cloverworks for season two of Promised Neverland because they adapted Promised Neverland season one, like par for the course. And that was great. But like Promise Neverland was already going to go downhill because of the ending. I feel like in the manga is very divisive, but I feel like they kind of just bit the bullet because I also heard stuff with the director, but blah, blah, blah. Um, the millionaire detective balance and break. was good. And we all know how, you know, wonder egg priority went. The ending was historically bad. Um, but Horamiya was decent. You know, a lot of people liked it. I didn't really like it, but that was the story, not because of the adaptation. I feel like it was a great adaptation. And Spy Family has been absolutely huge. Occupy Sailor Uniform has been absolutely huge. And uh, My Just of Darling has been huge. So I feel like going forth, if the manga keeps as strong as it is as a manga reader, it's very engaging. And I feel like Darling and the Franks only gets better and it avoids like, like all these... Um, like predictive tropes that happen in slice of life and romance is a very fresh read. I feel like we're going to get even better seasons. And the fact that we, it did take a while to get season two. It was probably about like four or five months to get the go ahead for season two. And we don't have a trailer yet, but I'm okay with that because that means they're kind of taking their time and they're letting the story feel. So I'd rather them take their time and give it the love and care it deserves. And let's get a rush product. And it just end up like drawing in the Franks or, some other stuff because yeah so i'll wait i'll be patient but no i feel like it's in good hands with cloverworks as hit and miss as they are i feel like this will be one of their love children um is that what it's called love child i don't know exactly the terminology but i feel like favorite child yes favorite because i'm like love child uh (laughs) that's what we're gonna wind up with at the end of the show oh my god um but no, yeah, fa- favored favored son would be a good way to describe this. May may it be a, a bunny girl senpai. May it may it be a uh, spy X family, yes. and not not the the other disappointing ways that this can go with this studio. Yes. So with that, let's get into why this has been so interesting in our experience of the anime. Let's get into the plot. Let's get into the characters. Let's let's do it. Okay. So, um, I guess we'll just start with the big dog himself, uh, Wakane Gojo, who is 15 years old. He does Hina dials, and he keeps it a secret and kind of keeps it himself because when he was younger, some, I don't know if I can say this, but like some punk-ass bitch kid <laughs> was like, why are you playing with dolls? Like, that's disgusting and ended their friendship. And I'm like, yo, I don't know who you are. I'm still waiting for her to come back up in the story. I don't know if she's just like a one-off character or what. No, no. She's got to be like a family friend, like family friends, kid. She ain't shown back up. That's all I'm saying. So when she does, I'm ready with these hands, but she put my boy Gojo in a very self doubt place where she, where he felt like he had to kind of, hide himself and kind of like be disgusted for what he enjoys 
until he meets best girl Marin Kikigawa, who is kind of the Garu popular chick of the school. You know, she's very much um, very attractive, very has a lot of um, a lot of fans or whatnot. You know, typical Garu in the anime scene of being popular and being well liked. But she has a side of her that's very like otakuish, like super otakuish, which is interesting because this is where the flip starts. Because normally in these types of things, we see that the male character is the one who has like these type of tendencies of playing the arrow games and being the otaku in secret. But no, it's actually Marin where we get a more compassionate, docile male character which i really liked how they switched that up with gojo and marin i feel like which kind of made her feel like fresh in her own really true character um but gojo well she literally hits gojo by being knocked into him and he's like i don't know what's going on and then this whole like scene happens where someone's making fun of someone and marin's like hey don't make fun of someone for something that they want to do you know, it's like, I hate when people do that. It is what it is. And then our boy Gojo was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And later he's in the sewing room or whatever room is called. I think the sewing club and using a sewing machine and Marin walks in on him and he tries to run. She's like, no, no, it's fine. Like this is, you know, who I am and or this is who you are, but it's so cool can I like show you something she shows the cosplay and that's how these two kind of get into the groove of meeting each other and this whole crazy journey starts yes and it is a crazy journey I kind of enjoy the fact that this is like less of a Comey can't communicate like we're not collecting friends here we're focusing on the interaction between Maureen and Gojo and that it is a, it is turning a romantic vibe and we do gather some characters that are like friend adjacent, you know, like Marin's basic group of school friends, the assorted other cosplayers we wind up with. Uh, but the real focus it remains on Marin and Gojo at the heart of it. Yeah. And we get um these two characters are so much like like I said, they're so interesting because they're so polar opposites, but they also like complement each other because we have the outspoken, energetic Marin. We have the timid, concerned Gojo, who when they come together to make these cosplays, it's so interesting how Gojo's personality is like, I'm, he, he kind of reminds me of you in an aspect where like you keep to yourself, oh God. but like if there's like, hey, I got to go out and like, if we're doing this Earl manga on the podcast, I'm going to commit and sit here and like <laughs> play all the games. And this really gets our boy Go or Gojo into some hijinks because he's his grandfather ends up getting hurt <laughs> because he thinks he's developing these weird like fetishes of like having stockings and staying up all night playing these Earl games. And it's it's really comical and the comedy like hits so well of that. Um, but Gojo just takes it seriously. He's like, okay, you want to do a cosplay of this Earl manga character? I'm going to sit here. I'm going to play all the games and I'm going to give you a whole feedback of the beauty of this. Like, and it's just so interesting to see 
because it's like there's no shame between these two because he's doing it. It's like a professional, you know, kind of vibe. So I really, yeah, yeah. really rock and with this, that. And with that, the switch flips between him being embarrassed with like a woman's physique and also him being like brain switch. It's time to go to work. Yeah, and that that being the thing that winds up with such the you know these these amazing uh, interpretations of these characters in the real world. Uh, speaking speaking of some side characters, I really love uh, the grandpa Kaoru Gojo, and he is so great because uh, he's he you know he's got he's the Hina doll master, and he's he's Gojo is living with him and uh is also the inspiration for him to get into Hina dolls but he's also like an up to speed grandpa he's like yo all you do is hang out here do you have any friends mm-hmm. and that gets uh that gets gojo to be like oh definitely grandpa i definitely have friends so so when it winds up that he's he's you know playing these games and gets caught uh, which he has no shame in once grandpa opens the door. Um, it It's a great fun thing. And when, when uh, Marin finally comes over and, and grandpa meets her, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You definitely need to come here and eat food from here on out. Yeah. I, but- I just love the interaction of this grandpa. No, man, I, <laughs> I love it as well. Like in the fact that like um you know he wants to he kind of sees the positive effect that Marin is not kind of but sees the effect that Marin is having on Gojo as well. Um in terms of Gojo becoming like his lines and his work and Hina Dows is improving upon his relationship with that and he doesn't see it yet. Like Rampa is going to be the matchmaker, I feel like. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a fun time, and I'm really, I'm really hoping we don't get like too long of a drawn out process of them becoming together, Marin and Gojo, because I know you should never assume, and I know they like to keep you on the edge, but like, I'm gonna need this. Like, this is gonna happen. There's no doubt in my mind these two are getting together. Like. They got to realize it, which um, I really want to touch on, like, some of the standout moments of this anime thus far, um, my dress up darling. And for me, like, a big moment right off the bat is, of course, episode one, where we have, like, this whole process of them, like, finding each other and... Marin sharing her dream. She's like, I don't care if it's lame or whatever or whatnot. And Gojo's like, nah, I feel you. A hundred percent, I feel you. So I love that moment. And moving on to a little later moment, but it's like also really big. It's the first cosplay event where that whole sequence of events where like they're getting ready. I love that mini arc of the first like cosplay event. Like that was, that was very strong. And seeing... Seeing the misunderstandings and the communication that happens and like how Martin's like, yo, look at all these girls in like cosplays. They're so beautiful. And Gojo's like, yeah, they're all right. And she's like, what? And he's like, Gojo's like, let me tell you about the first time I saw a dial up in there. And I was like, wow, 
So that's I only use beautiful for inanimate objects that are like glorified, you know, dolls. No, 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 <laughs> not inanimate objects, but but for things that are truly evocative. And, yes, and it has a it has a special uh, things that have a, a a true special influence on on the feelings. It's not just dolls. <laughs> oh, no, I was just being facetious. I I know you were getting me to pay attention. <laughs> um. So then she's like, yeah, no, that's fair. I understand. And then she's like, I can't can't wait for the first cosplay event. And he's like, what? And this is where, like, this already set the anime a cut above, like, just other typical, like, you know, slice of life for me because it put in that care. It shows how much work goes into getting a cosplay ready. Like, we see the whole process from, like, picking the fabric, picking the wigs, like, okay, I'm going to use purple, but I'm going to need a black because it's going to look this way. Like, the makeup, like a boob bag, like all this stuff I don't even know about. I was like, yo, I feel like, in a way, this is a sports anime because of the amount of detail and the explanation I'm getting into the craft of what is happening. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, Haiku or Slam Dunk or any sports anime. Um, the first few episodes is always explaining the basis of the sport and how it works. And my dress up darling treated cosplay like it was that sport. It was like, okay, we're going to go from everything, like completely getting it done. Like even the patterns and sewing and everything. Because my mom being a seamstress, you know, I know about those graphs and all that stuff. I was like, wow, this is like, and even bro, even his designs, like on the paper and everything, like the notes, like how did you feel about that attention to detail? Like, I thought it was, it was uh, one a way to show his respect for the craft and and two to to denote the the whole effort that he's putting in right um it it's showing the viewer the amount of effort it can take right with the whole the whole overall message uh being you don't have to look like our main character to cosplay but if you want to do this at a high level you can and and Gojo, it, we're seeing Gojo apply his his talents and his his skills that he's honed um, to this, to you know, from Hina dolls to uh, cosplay, but also we're you know back to that first point. We're seeing the amount of passion and respect for whatever it is he is doing with his skill, and he's like, all right, you know, these are the identifying factors. This is what I'm seeing. These are the exact measurements. And this is like my formula. No, no, nothing up in the air that I can leave undone to get to the desired goal. And he does that from one character to another. Right? That's just his process. And it's cool to see his process as he translates it from one uh, craft to another. No, oh, 100%. Like, I I love that. And then, you know, of course, we get the big day of, hey, like she came over, like, we got exams, your grandpa's in the hospital, I know you're going through all this, like, uh, I just want to see if you're okay. And he's like, I finished it. And she's like, what? Like, your cosplay. I did it. <laughs> and she feels so bad, like, the fact that she starts crying, she didn't realize what's going on. I was like, yo. That is like actually solid. I am, I am here for that, you know. And um, 
the fact that they go to the thing and it happens and then he finally gets he finally tells her you know you were beautiful after we see the cut scene of her running and all that slow-mo that was like again fan service done right for the plot mm-hmm. instead of being the plot um well it, all right i i one, uh, okay, fan service being the plot or supporting the plot depends on what you're here for, right? I'm not mm-hmm. going to sit here and say that my, uh, that, you know, fan service is the plot is wrong, but I enjoy when it, it is not the only thing we're seeing. Uh, but two, uh, to my dress up darling, especially your point previously, I really appreciate that we have this whole setup with, with, the boundaries that Gojo sets on on using the words that mean something to him, right? And then to then see him use those in terms of Marvin. It's like, yes, that's what the fuck I'm talking about. We ain't just gonna throw that shit out. It is, uh, he, he intrinsically means his statement. And that that that's my shit, man. No, man, I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. Mm. As someone who's been to a con, full disclosure, um, that was a very accurate depiction of it as well. You know, like I just the accuracy and everything that happens is just great, and the dialogue that we have, which is one thing I meant to touch on with the staff. Like, I also love the fact that I don't know these two voice actors; that they're very relatively unknown voice actor as in Marin being Hina Shugaka who has only done like like idol anime as one character like who's been in idol anime forever so like she's done that role so this is like her first big role and then like Gojo who literally was just you know basically Gojo and then one guy in Godzilla's singular boy that man you know, you know what Goja's voice actor did. What did uh, he do? This being uh, Shoya Ishige. Yes, bro, he was the main voice actor for Yu Gi Oh V Train V Reigns. Excuse me. <laughs> and I don't know one person that watched that one. I'm sorry, not wow. us, but man, he's out here putting in lead role. <laughs> yeah, true. Someone probably watched that all 120 uh, episodes. It wasn't us. But whoever you are, sorry for the disrespect to your hero. But I mean, seeing him do this, seeing him do other supporting roles, uh, yeah, to your point, uh, Godzilla SP, and uh, he's got an upcoming main character role in uh, Hikari no Oi. Oh. Yeah, no, it, it's cool to see the new, the new slate of voice actors step into their main roles. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And then um, another one of our characters, Inju, the second girl, um, unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, but like she is head. She is Futaba from Bunny Girl. She is Chise from freaking Ages Magic Bride. She's Anya from Spy Family. She's Tomei from freaking Mob Psycho. She's Nikki from Dr. Stone. She's done a lot. Okay. <laughs> so. It's really just our two main people who it's their first like kind of um vibe. So she's even embryo from JoJo. You know what? Whatever. So going back to 
um the moments in this anime is there any moments that really stuck out for you um that like just kind of made you go like wow this is something special or you know this is at least not the average um good question so I really enjoyed like kind of all the moments that we got going on with uh, Gojo and Marine. Um, I I enjoy the whole dynamic with her pushing him outside of his like social boundaries or like expectations, and you know opening up a new world for him. I really enjoyed the beach scene uh, where it was just like, hey, we're gonna go to the fucking beach um, and hang out and and not be a and the beach scene not be the tool of the, you know, uh, etchy anime to just show them in their bikinis. But, like, here's an experience that Gojo's never had before, and that's why this is partially relevant. Yeah. Um. The other thing, I really enjoyed the, the moment where, uh, or the kind of uh, episode where we meet uh, Maureen's, like, Favorite local uh, cosplayer, right? This cosplayer that never does cons, but super cute and is always putting out stuff. She finally meets her, and we get to get to know her. We get to know her sister, who's in middle school but doesn't look like it. Um, and and kind of do a team cosplay. I really enjoyed that we that this show made up an entirely fictional fucking shoujo magical girl shit that had <laughs> that like actual fire. anime. <laughs> I loved all of that because I'm like, oh, yep, I get it, I get it. That's Sailor Moon on crack. Um, I love that, and 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 specifically the moment where where this whole plot point about the the little sister who doesn't have the body type to uh conveniently let's say that uh cosplay as a male character and gojo's going out of his way to like help her achieve that goal cosplaying this male character that's very relevant to the series that her sister and mari and her team cosplaying and that just being a thing I really, I really enjoyed that moment as as a way to continue to tie in uh, that theme with character uh, interaction. No, I agree. I agree. Um, I love that moment as well. Um, it was such a strong moment. Like I was like, wow, you know. And then showing like Gojo is like freaking Santa Claus out here, bro. He's like the cosplay Jesus or something like that. He's out here helping people reach their dreams through cosplay. And I wonder, is he going to keep doing that, honestly? But um, then the other moment that really, like, um, was really big for me was the moment at the end where they're on the phone and, mm-hmm. like, they're talking and... I don't even remember. <laughs> I mean, I remember, but like. So, so Marion calls him because she just watched like The Ring 2 or something on her own. She's like, hey, I'm scared. Just litter. I don't care if you're going to sleep. I don't care. Just stay on the phone and, and let me talk. 
And and Gojo's like, okay, great. And then he lays down because that's what he was doing at the time. And then it's a, just a very cute scene of uh, of Marin talking and Gojo trying to respond as he you know succumbs to the blissful embrace of sleep. And Marin's like, I love you. And all she hears on the other side of the line is him, like, breathing. Because he's passed the fuck out. And it's like, that's what I'm talking about. Confess your shit. Don't make me wait on this. Yes. Yes. I love that we got all this in the first season, man. And there was, like, some people I saw complaining that, like, it's a one-sided romance. And I'm like, bruh. Do you know how many one-sided romance there's been in anime? Like, I feel like very often, or very few times, do people in actuality fall in love with each other at the same time. I feel like it's really one person putting forth that effort, someone else having to see that person in a new light, and that's how the relationship builds. I don't know what these people who have been locked in their house for years and years and years feel like they are doing by, like, just <laughs> expecting everything to be mutually, like, off the bat. I don't know. That's just, Maybe that's just my experiences. I've never been like, oh, I like you, you like me, let's date. No work, no groundwork, full go, full send. Hell yeah, brother. Double fist. Meh. That's that's the thing, you ain't find the right one. Um, Sometimes that is how it turns out, you know? Uh, However, I I do agree with your point of visually, we are communicated that... from Marion's aspect, she is very open with the fact that she feels that Gojo is attractive and that she has feelings for Gojo and she loves we, him. We get, yeah, she loves him and we get to see that interaction. And with Gojo, it it is a little bit of that. But also with Gojo, he has no context for like what is uh just being a friend and what is being like a romantic partner and that's kind of the learning aspect for gojo so it is a bit one-sided but not with the level of passion or feelings it's one-sided in the amount that they both contextually comprehend yeah and and that we see as a viewer which is exactly how that storytelling probably should work you know because it, it, it if it was if it was equal, then we wouldn't have an interesting plot. But it's not like one character likes them and the other character doesn't, and then that's the story. How do I convince this person who doesn't like me to fall in love? Right? That's that's not necessarily where we're going with this, which I'm I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. Um But I I do have to say as well that I feel like that was one of the things that was like, you know, not tropey. Like the tropes that were avoided was him falling for her first, like saying the I love you and the confession. Like I feel like we were just dancing around, like and avoiding a lot of these tropes, which I felt like my dress up darling did that really well of avoiding a lot of slice of life and romance tropes. Like the fact that, you know, like I mean, just because like I feel like there's a lot of the times where it's like, also, I, 
So I also really like how it wasn't like a love triangle when the other girl came in. Like, cause I yes. was worried that that was going to happen. So I was really glad that didn't happen. We didn't get the love triangle. I was, um, and, and we tease it, right? We certainly tease it, but we don't take it that direction. Yeah. Right. Uh, because with, when the other girl comes in, the girl that's really respected as a, as a cosplayer, when she comes in and, and she sees the effort that, um, that Gojo's putting in for her and the amount of respect and care that he is taking with her little sister. She's like, man, that's cute as fuck. And when, when, when he holds her hand because she's like feeling weird about being in this abandoned hospital, which where's that plot point going to go? I don't have a good feeling about this. Uh-huh. Um, but no, when, when he holds her hand, she freaks out cause she's gone to an all girl high school and you know, this, that, and the other, um, we we have a lot of a lot of theming set up for this to be an opportunity for someone else to fall in love, but we don't take it there. We don't we don't have competition in the viewer's mind with who's actually gonna wind up with Gojo as a reason to pad out the runtime, right? Because it, if it's interesting, it's interesting. If it's not, it's just a reason to like fill time. And I'm glad they don't. Right? I'm glad they tease at it, they poke at it, they look at it, but. It's never enough by the time we end the season to really be a problem for for the viewers understanding where we're going to be in next season. And I'm, I'm so excited for that. No, 100%. And uh, lastly, the other trope that I feel like was avoided, which I like, I love that we didn't get a Sundare Marin. You know, like, just because she's popular in Garu, she doesn't have to be like, Oh, you like pathetic Gojo or anything like that, where she's like some type of way, like a Noel character from um, Black Clover. I'm glad we just yes. got like her being her true self. And I, I love that so much that we're just like, we're not going down this route. Like we're just actually being who we are. And it's so great. Yes. Definitely, definitely. Because that would be a problem. And, you know, there are other shows that take this Gyaru vibe uh, and do that. As, as a real teasing thing. Um, but I'm glad that this wasn't. I'm glad that this was very, like, a wholesome relationship and interaction. And there was no real dichotomy uh, between, like, those of those who are confident in social powers and those who are not, like, a, a, a difference in relationship balance with that. It's just, are you who the fuck you, like, truly are? If yes, hell yeah. If not, be you. Like, that's the vibe that this whole thing fits. And I'm glad that that's the vibe. A hundred percent. And I know you say you had something you wanted to talk about with the um, whole thing of the Garu. All right. So, in, in taking a look at the, the reception of My Dress Up Darling, I had found an article that was posted on Game Rant. Uh, titled The Problem with Gongoro in My Dress Up Darling. So, uh, Gongoro being the action of uh, darkening, uh, of, of applying darkening makeup or tanning uh, that is also paired with uh, flashy accessories or fashion uh, to complete the aesthetic of uh, Gyaru. So, this is where, as I push up my glasses and uh, break out my protractor i get academic with you 
and really take a look at this idea of uh, semiotics. Okay, are you prepared to get graduate studented? I'm something. I am definitely something. Okay, so the 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 idea of semiotics is that humans communicate through signs and symbols. And so here we have this interesting discussion about the symbol of a character or a person of lighter skin tone actively darkening their skin tone for aesthetic purposes, right? So this article goes on and and really describes this as uh, this tradition of uh, Japanese subcultures doing this uh, as gongoro, like the, the act of darkening your skin tone. Uh, for aesthetic purposes, where we take this same and and in semiotics, the idea is that these symbols are broken up in two things, right? We have uh, the method, how we are communicating these things. Are we communicating these things through uh, visuals, sounds, smells, whatever? Is it a picture? Is it a written word? Is it a spoken word? How are we communicating these things? And we also have the message, what it is we are communicating with this sign. So in our case, we are, we are taking a look at the sign of a character of lighter skin darkening their skin for aesthetic purposes. In this Japanese culture, we have the idea of, of a, garu, a Gyaru character who does this uh, Gangoro, who is challenging the social expectation of the the uh, aesthetic ideal of a Japanese woman, that being lighter skin tone, that being uh, quiet and submissive, that, that kind of fitting the, the cultural ideal. And with Gongoro and Gyaro, we are rejecting that ideal. We're being very punk rock about this. We are going to darken our skin tone to not match that ideal. We're going to be very loud and very vulgar. We're going to be sexual. That is counter to the cultural expectation of, uh, of modesty. And it's very much gaining control uh, against the cultural expectations, right? Yeah. Now, that same idea, right? That same sign of a lighter skin tone person coloring their skin darker for aesthetic purposes in a Western culture referred to as blackface. And that idea is be it uh, white people painting their face black and portraying uh, black people in a, in a negative and insulting light. And it has been a way throughout minstrelry that has been yet another thing that has communicated the amount of disrespect and disdain uh, for people of color. And the the interesting thing for me in this instance, me, of course, being a white man that uh, does understand the gravity of this, uh, but is also not the one impacted by it from, uh, you know, personal cultural experience. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see how exactly this idea is one taken with cultural expectations being different about the idea. Uh, and also, too, as we move forward, as as Japanese anime grow in global uh, impact, 
off the bat, straight out of Japan, no hands touching it to international audiences. How important is it for them, for, for mangakas and uh, anime studios to understand different cultural uh comprehension of the same symbols that may mean something to something different to them what's your what's your take on this well um my take on this is that i feel like different cultures have different histories of doing things um i feel like intent intent is a large part of everything and I feel like the intent in the West has always been harmful when it comes to blackface. Um, but Garu, I feel like, is... I don't want to say it's like the celebration of the darker tone, but I feel like it's not done in the connotation of negativity that was blackface, and that was done because you would rather like paint your face and act ignorant than handle someone or hire someone than a person of color because you don't view them as a person. Um, and I know Garu is like a mentality and like kind of like a whole like you know like breaking the status quo type energy so i feel like it's really hard to comment on i don't feel like as a person of color i don't feel like it is as anywhere near as offensive as like the blackface in the west or even in the same vein as that but i can't speak for every person of color i can only speak for myself but me personally i don't have any issue with it um and of course like i know it's the same thing as like you know um people such as you know like just um who appropriate like cultural appropriation of different like whether that be native american whether that be of african-american like just like irish scottish whatever um i feel like all cultural appropriation is wrong to some degree but i feel like we really need to have a conversation as humans where that line of like an insult and paying homage to like kind of meat if that makes sense yeah yeah um definitely i i, I appreciate your point uh, and that's where i think this really does this fall um it does fall on there is there is no malicious intent in this however it is specifically to the degree we we can see um or have you know we have examples of this is appropriation you know and the, the question there being is appropriation acceptable uh, or not, you know, with, with respect to the, the initial culture. Uh, yeah. And, and, and for me, this is an interesting experience. Um, do you think moving forward that uh, as this content reaches a broader international audience, do you think it's important that these, these writers and creators have respect for the different meanings of these ideas or uh one do you think it's important do two do you think it will actually happen in the next five to ten years um one i think it's important yes in all aspects um and then do i think it'll happen probably not because japan has expressed with their manga and art and a lot of things that they really make their stuff for their people and of course you don't have to have that um, explanation to your people because there's not really um, that you know I, I I can't say whether I think it'll happen or not because the world is changing at such alarming pace uh, yeah. there's more and more people from all over the world who move to Japan they're inviting people in because of like um, tourism yeah, yeah tourism and even their birth rate is like cripplingly low and they're losing people without having people being born 
So they're even inviting people to come have babies <laughs> to boost the population of Japanese citizens. Yeah, yeah, but historically they have been isolationist, very much uh, focused on uh, the separation between those native of Japan and everyone else that comes to live there. Absolutely, I, I, I can see the point you're getting at. Yeah, they've been very xenophobic as a like nation, um, but as the way the world turns and as we open up with more information and technology, um, I feel like the world is just kind of coming t- more open, you know? Um, so I would say, I don't know. I, I really don't, but I do know there's become an increase of compassion and even, uh, like when, just for my hero, when Kobe Bryant died, um, here, Horikoshi from My Hero Academia drew Deku in a pair of Kobe shoes to pay homage to him, you know? Um, and when other things like that, that have happened, uh, here in America, that Japan has like put into their manga or things like that to show homage to other places around the world. So I would, I would really say, you know, it could happen and it might happen because of just the way that the world is moving and how, as the old regime moves out and newer and younger people come in, there's definitely going to be an uptake in that cultural sensitivity. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm interested to see exactly how this all shakes. Um, over over time because that's one of the things it's going to take time and anime is not the entirety of Japanese culture it is a window of of media production that reveals itself to a larger audience but is not the the entire historical existence of this culture yes uh, so yeah I'm I'm interested to see the the how this idea uh, will be impacted overall, you know, you know, internationally. Definitely. But, but I will say uh, we have like goats like Taite Kubo and Oshira um, Oda from One Piece and Bleach. And they love like, you know, they like the whole Fishman's allegory for racism and slavery of African-Americans. And like in Bleach, we see the love for the Spanish culture that um, Kubo has. So. I feel like it's definitely has a platform and a leg to stand on. And I feel like as time goes on, we'll definitely see more of a embrace and respect to other cultures from the world. Definitely. Those are great examples. Etchira Oda. I said his name wrong. Sorry, goat. Um, but yeah, so, you know, lastly, back to my sub darling, um, which that was all about as well. But I really wanted to compare it to one other show before we wrapped um, the show yeah, that almost yeah. seems like absolutely identical to this smile down the runway. Um, a show not about cosplaying, but about modeling and fashion, which didn't receive the same, you know, being close, so closely resembling this show did not receive the same love and outreach as this show. I per- as like personally, yeah, I think yeah. they're both top tier shows. Like I would give them both like a nine out of ten rating for me and two of my favorite slice of life. But um, why do you think that Smile on the Runway didn't receive this type of love and like still has not been any word about a season two? So I would put my dress up darling over Smile on the Runway. Really because of the specificity, right? Um, Smile on the Runway feels like a better version of Yuri on Ice. 
like we do touch on on ice skating but it's not really about ice skating um that's what what smile on the runway feels like it's really about modeling and uh and fashion design but it's we don't go deep in that we really only face value it to a degree um Okay, more more to say, we don't have a balance, I guess is really where, where I'm getting at. We don't have a balance between the relationship of our characters and the specificity of our other topic, our, our craft, our hobby. So Smile Down the Runway really focuses on the high school journey, getting through um getting through designing and and dealing with money as one character is not well off and the other character is dealing with uh physical limitations and the expectations of the modeling industry which are all fine topics to be challenged by but we we do have deadlines we do have have obstacles we're trying to overcome and maybe because we don't have those obstacles with my dress up darling that we're trying to beat we have room to focus on the smaller interactions and the specificity of the craft and how that all matters i don't know i guess i guess the the big thing for me is smile down the runway's pace is focusing on achieving something right yeah i want to i want to achieve being a fashion designer professionally. I want to achieve being an actual model that isn't, you know, being told I can't do it because of physical limitations. And the entire plot is driven by striving to reach those goals. Where My Dress Up Darling doesn't have those same uh, pacing drives, right? The, the small moments in between the characters is just as important and driving as the big moments. And I guess the, the pacing and plot decisions of it is what really makes it different for me. Because we don't have this big thing we're trying to achieve. We're hoping that they get in a relationship. It's like the big overall like goal of the show. Get these characters to be together. And also, each episode is based on what do they achieve in that goal unless like i'm gonna design a dress out of scraps i found and i'm going to be naked in front of you because it's work yes you're a professional here yeah i don't know pacing i'm gonna go with pacing and not in the delivery of information in the Storytelling elements that are emphasized by the mangaka. Yes, I, I agree with that. I would go with pacing. Um, again, Marin is just like a cut out of that. Like she's just a different character. Chiyuki is a good character as well, but she doesn't have like that. She's still kind of sundere. She doesn't really have that type of vibe that Marin has of like, you know, like, and like. There's a difference between a lot of people, which I was reading in the comments, a lot of people say that Gojo felt like kind of pathetic 
and didn't believe in himself, very insecure. And I was like, I wouldn't say that. I would say Gojo is very hardworking, but like he lost both of his parents. He has a grandfather who's sick, you know, and he really just likes Hina dolls and kind of kept to himself. So his situation is understandable. And I'm not saying that um, our main character or main protagonist is smiled on the wrong way. Um, Ikuto's character isn't also relatable for him to have those withdrawals and everything, but we see that he has friends. He has people like outside of Chiyuki who like rely on him. He has like capable family. He has a mom and he has three sisters, you know, granted his mom is sick as well, but you know, he still has three sisters and other people and more of a support system than Gojo, but he just has such a lack of like faith in himself. And, you know, I, I will say, yeah, seeing like talking about it this way, my dress up darling is like a cut above. Um, but I feel like one of the other main reasons why we don't have a season two for Smile Down the Runway, and while I've accepted we probably won't get a season two because <laughs> the manga's ended and we still don't know anything about it, is the studio. Studio Izola. Like having done <laughs> fucking happy sugar life and are you lost? Two heaps of hot trash, if I have to say so myself. Um and then, yeah. like, the fact that, like, they just stopped making stuff. It's been two years since anything has come out from them. So I feel like unless Smile Down the Runway gets picked up by a different studio, which they probably won't, because um, the manga's finished. The manga ended in uh, 2021. So it's been a year since the manga ended for Smile Down the Runway. Um, yeah, probably not looking good for us. So... I dressed up Johnny Snap to carry the torch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's one of those things like why pick up Smiled on the Runway when we've already got my dress up darling who's who's putting in the work, you know. I like the idea of Smiled on the Runway. I really enjoyed my time with it. But I guess also the whole idea that we don't the relationship between our two our two main characters doesn't progress is also one of the obstacles for me with uh with smiled on the runway right because we, we we tease this we we set it up we we tease it but we don't get any direction at, at the close of if it will go or if it won't go right we're just kind of like yay we're doing it together for whatever that means you know professionalism over relationship but with my dress up darling we get a direction it's going to go it is very much going to go they're getting together. And then the question after that is, will they stay together? Will they be together for a long time? Is it something going to go awry? We have a direction we're pointed, which is why it's so engaging. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's very fair and very accurate. So, um, yeah, I definitely got to give it to, um, not that it's a competition between the two by any means, but I definitely understand why at the end of the day that we see this kind of disparity between the two and yeah man just it's interesting seeing them both where they are and my dress up darling season two has been confirmed we're not sure when we'll get it but it has been confirmed and uh we know cloverworks has to work on these bunny girl senpai uh i don't know if they're movies i think they are, but I'm also not sure, so I'm going to hold out on what they are. Um, but they have two more Bunny Girl Senpai projects that we are, have confirmed coming out, and I feel like 
we'll get those before we get the second season of uh, My Dress Up Darling, and we still have to finish Spy Family and see what they're going to do with a season two of that. So I feel like maybe 2023, maybe 2024 for the next season. I hope it doesn't take that long. I hope that we can just get it next year. Uh, but I'm not hopeful. Just just take the time and put it out right. That's all I ask, Clover. <laughs> Do not, yes. Yes. by any circumstances, <laughs> promise Neverlandish or Wonder Egg <laughs> priority. Like, you got to, or Horamiya, because that ending, they cut like 40 chapters out of Horamiya to make it a 13-episode anime, so... Just don't do that, please. That's all I ask. Just full adaptation. I'll wait as long as it takes. Don't hold <laughs> me. Uh, yes, I I agree. Looking forward to more being animated. It's such a such a goat. It, it's so good. Um, and I I'm so excited for whenever season two does come out. And yes, I agree. Do not give me a slideshow of an entire arc that we didn't cover. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> can't believe they did that. I can't. I told everybody, man. I was like, yo, the pace in the season two ain't adding right. The math is not adding up. Well, I'm still going to watch it. You don't know everything just because you read the manga. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the difference between people who don't listen to you and people who do a podcast. <laughs> True. I'm going to put that on my resume. Call it Promised Land season two was going to be ass. <laughs> Called it. Uh, I don't know if that would help or hurt at this point, but uh, yeah, you're right. Hey, man, do it if you feel it. Hmm. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to more. Pro- uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to more Promise Everland. No, but, you ain't. Uh, looking looking forward to more. Uh, Sono Bisk no Koyu wo Suru. Um, uh, one correction I do want to make uh, about a previous statement in this episode is that whole conversation about uh manga's gender. Uh, we don't know the gender of the Jujutsu Kaisen author. They are writing under a pen name that we have absolutely no idea about. Yes. I mean, I dug and did some sources. It turns out that it is most likely a female, but, you know, it hasn't been confirmed. But yeah. the reason that it is a Soto and not knowing who it is is because it's a female. But that has not been confirmed. You are correct. So we're going to put an asterisk yep. by that until we get an official yep. channel. But let it be known, I was right about Promise Neverland Season 2. So I might be right about <laughs> <No>. this, too. <laughs> yeah, man. Let, let you be right about two things. I mean, it'd be game over for me. <laughs> it's been, I was right about Jujutsu Kaisen. I was right about Promise Neverland. <laughs> I was right about uh, when <laughs> Garden of Sinners came out. I got a sticky note. Yeah, you were right about that. That, that was on me. Which I corrected in mid-episode, but we'll get to that on another product. You can catch us here talking talking more shit to each other uh, about all here on your typical show no protagonist on all your podcasts. Talking Spotify, iTunes, Amazon podcast at your typical show no protagonist or on Twitter at your TSP. That's U R T S P. Kai, you have stuff too? Yes, you can find me at Static Dreads on Twitter. While it's still there, I might need something else to like, you know, find me at. Um, let me on Tumblr. I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> hey, maybe. Maybe that's where our audience is. <laughs> we'll figure that out at a later date. But for now, you can still find me on Twitter. I hope I'm not dating myself. Probably not. Also, catch the other product at Content Breaker on all your podcasters and YouTube. 
as well. We'll catch y'all next week for more. Your typical Shonen protagonist.